Well, that has got to be one of the most realistic uh, scenes in film that I've ever witnessed. That, of course, was uh, part of the opening to Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Admittedly, not the best in the installment, but, you know, it is Indiana Jones. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm, what, I'm 38 years old now, so I, when I grew up, Indiana Jones, I, I was, like, enamored with him. You know, there was something about this kind of nerdy guy who, he, he was kind of like a flawed Superman, right? So he didn't, he didn't have the, the cape, and he wasn't, you know, the man of steel. But, you know, by day, he was this mild-mannered archaeology professor, and then suddenly he took the glasses off, and he donned the fedora and the jacket, and he was, like, beating up Nazis and doing all sorts of crazy stuff in, like, the mountainsides in India. I mean, it was just amazing. And so when I was, when I was young, I was just fascinated by this guy because he seemed like a normal guy who did amazing things. And so I somehow, at a little, uh, at a little yard sale kind of thing, I found this, this leather whip. Not, a, not like a bull whip, uh, but just like a kind of a you know, middle, you know, little whip thing. I don't even know what you would use it for. Um, but I, I managed to, the person was really nice to me. They sold it to me for like a dollar, right? So I had a whip. And then I managed to find uh, some kind of, you know, faux leather jacket. It wasn't an actual leather jacket, but like one of those plasticky ones that kind of looked like leather. And then I found kind of a fedora, not exactly, but sort of. And then I would dress up like this, and I would go out, and we had this little jungle gym thing in our backyard, and I would swing around on it by myself. I was a kind of a geeky kid. Um, but I would, like, be, like, crawling around by myself, imagining being attacked by Nazis and having to fight them off. And, and that was kind of how I spent my days. And now you all feel sorry for me. And, but it explains a lot, I'm sure. Um, but I, I was just, I loved Indiana Jones. And a lot of kids, you know, they have, they, they get enamored by these heroes, these kind of normal, everyday people who change the world. Now, for my kids, it's less, I mean, they kind of like Indiana Jones, but it's not so much Indiana Jones. It's more, you know, Harry Potter, or Hermione Granger, or uh, Katniss Everdeen, Percy Jackson. You know, these kind of everyday people who become heroes, who rescue others, who save the world, or at the very least, save Hogwarts from Baltimore, right? These, these people who, you know, you kind of, you can see yourself in, they're everyday normal people, but they're making a huge impact. That was compelling as kids. Now, some of us, as we got older, got a little cynical about whether or not that was actually possible, but some of us didn't. We're still compelled by that idea that, that someone can make a difference, that, that an individual can, can change the world. And for those of us who are looking to follow Jesus, it's, it, it resonates deeply. Like we look around the world, and there's actually a lot of things that are broken, that, that aren't the way they ought to be, that need to change. There's injustice, like human trafficking or or cruel dictatorships, civil war that displaces people, and migrants drowning in the Mediterranean. There's widespread poverty and sickness and disease. There's pride and greed and hatred, despair, loneliness, sin and brokenness. There's death. Everywhere we look, we see this, and it deep within us, we say, that's not the way it ought to be. And when we look at the scriptures and the life and teaching of Jesus, we understand that we actually do have a heroic part to play. That 
God is at work in bringing redemption through Christ and through those who follow Christ in the world, through whom he wants to bring life and beauty and justice. There is work to be done, and it's good work, and it's important work. But there's also a problem. There's an inherent danger in this good work thing, in this desire to do good. Not that there's anything wrong with doing good, of course, but there is something in us that when we find ourselves focused on doing good things, sometimes bad things can happen. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks where we're, we're looking at a, a kind of a brief series that we're calling Risky Business, where we're going to look at the inherent risks of doing good, the downside, if you will, to doing good things. Now, I know it's kind of weird to think about that because we often simply assume that the point is for us to do good stuff. I experience this a lot whenever I talk to people. You know, I, I, I'll talk to people about their spiritual lives, God, and immediately people want to start talking about the things that they do, right? The, the ways that they're, you know, a nice person. Do they treat other people kindly or not? Do they help those who are in need? Are they a hard worker? Maybe a, a good spouse, a, a good sibling, a a good child to their parents? Are they a good co-worker? Do they use some of their money to help other people, etc.? There, there's lots of different things that, that people immediately go to as kind of like a rubric to, ex, to assess kind of how they're doing in their life with God. And then there are people like me who can sometimes compound this problem because I'll come up here and I'll talk about all of the ways that we as people need to be about good things. Right now, I'll talk about what it looks like to, to follow in the way of Jesus in the world and how that often leads us to doing things like loving our neighbor and doing good to those who curse us and, and looking for practical ways to make a difference in the world. And, and that is all good stuff. But sometimes I think in our desire to, my desire, people like me, our desire to motivate you to do what's good, to rightfully follow Jesus, we can all collectively forget the source of that goodness, where that comes from. Jesus himself was teaching on this. Um, we see in Luke, um, one of the biographies of Jesus in the New Testament. He says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus says that the works, the the good stuff, isn't actually the point. It's the product. The good that we do comes from the good that we're becoming, the kinds of people that we're being changed into, that the good is is a result of what's happening in us. And if we focus too much on the works themselves as the point, we actually shortchange the process 
and we lose a lot. Think about food. I mean, Jesus is the one who started the food analogy, right? So I I think it works pretty well. There's this thing called the the slow food movement. You might have heard about it. It's kind of gotten broad and, and pretty extensive, so you may not have heard about it in those terms, but you're probably familiar with it. In 1986, McDonald's wanted to open a franchise at the base of the Spanish Steps in Italy. And there was a group of, uh, of Italians who were un- not pleased with this. They weren't happy that there was a fast food restaurant coming here to their city. But instead of just waving signs and chanting, they, they brought a bowl of penne pasta. And they started handing out bowls of fresh pasta. And they began chanting, we don't want fast food We want slow food. And it began this movement called the slow food movement. And the idea behind it is simply this, that that for a long time, and you're probably familiar with it, like our goal was to generate as much food as possible, as cheaply as possible. And there was some good motivation there, right? There was a desire that, that people would have access to food that there wouldn't be a shortage for anyone. And I'm sure there was, there was some profit margin considerations in there as well. But the result became, o- over years and years of doing this, was this, this focus on lots of lots of food that's really cheap. But the unintended consequences were seen in, in things like land that was overused and didn't get the the kind of cultivation and rest that it needed. We saw it in in animals being treated poorly, in some cases horrifically. We see that in in some cases we get lots and lots of food that's just not as healthy as it could or should be. And so we get lots of food cheaply, but it's not actually what we need, or at least it's not as good as it could be. And we began to realize that there's a significant cost to some of these methods. And so we needed to rethink how we're getting to our desired end. How are we providing good food for people that actually meets their needs? The process matters, not just the end result. And it's true when it comes to the, the good fruit in our lives as well. That it's not just about, if, if the goal is just about doing good stuff all the time, we'll actually get some good results. If we focus our lives on just doing good things, that the point is we, we have to do good things all the time, actually some good things will happen. It's not all bad. But if we're not careful will end up shriveling up on the inside, living out of a shallow self, a a miserable existence where we end up actually resenting the good that we're doing because it doesn't come from a place of life and joy and peace. It comes from obligation. And it's in those moments that we begin to see people, really good people, make really bad choices. When I was in college, I used to listen to, uh, and I know, I'm a pastor, so I do things like this. I used to listen to this, this pastor on the radio. And he wasn't like televangelist guy, um, but he was a pastor of a mega church, uh, just a huge church in Florida. 
church had tens of thousands of people. I think around, around like 20,000 people. So just ginormous. Um, and uh, he, was, he was one of those guys though, who he didn't come off as like hokey or polished. He came off like a dude, right? Like you just listen to him. You're like, ah, that's, I, I can hang out with that guy. He's a cool guy. And so I really enjoyed listening to him for years. And I hadn't for a while. Um, it had probably been, I don't know, 10 years or so since I'd listened to him. And then last year, I began seeing his name online. And I recognized it, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, I remember that guy. But it turns out that this guy who, who started this church, right? So he started a church at nothing, just a couple of people, grew it to 20,000. But he ended up having to resign. Initially, it was simply because of kind of this generic moral failure um, but, event, you know, eventually came out that he'd had an affair. And he was stepping down from his position so he could try and figure out what does it look like to restore his relationship with his wife and his family. And in some ways, it's, it's almost, a, it's like a trope now, right? The, the pastor who has a moral failure kind of a thing. It's a meme. I mean, it just happens so much. But part of why that happens is because you get people who have really good intentions, who get in this position where they really want to do good, but they forget that there's a process. There's, there's a work that needs to be done in us before work can be done through us. It's not just about the good thing that you do. It's about the good person you're becoming, the changes that are happening in you. And of course, this isn't just pastors. I mean, you, you guys probably run into this often, right? It, it's your, your buddy who you would say is a, a really good person, you like a lot, give you the shirt off his back, but you find out that he's getting a divorce because he had an affair with one of the neighbors or one of his coworkers. Or it's uh, the up-and-coming young woman at, at work who seems to be an incredibly respectable person. But then she ends up leaving the job and you find out actually she's, she's had a couple of DUIs. Turns out she's got a real problem with alcohol. Or maybe it's the head of that charity that's doing amazing work around the world and suddenly you find out that they're misappropriating funds. The person who started it, who was the visionary, who had this passion for seeing the world changed, has been pocketing people's money that they're giving. And it's easy to just think, what is going on? Like, this seems so disjointed. And these people seem so good. They're doing such good things. How does this happen? But that's, that is the downside. That's the risk of focusing on a life that's about doing good is if we if we don't realize that the point isn't simply that we do good but that we become transformed people good people out of which good things come all sorts all sorts of bad things can happen jesus pointed this out uh, to the religious leaders of his day people who were well-versed in the scriptures, the Old Testament, who did lots of really good religious things. He says this to them in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's biography. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. On the inside, or I'm sorry, on the outside, they look, they look great. They had it all together. They, they were the ones who were, you know, kind of the, they were the picture of what it looked like to be someone who was in a, the right relationship with God, who was doing the right things. Others looked up to them. But on the inside, they were all dry and shriveled up, full of dead men's bones, Jesus said. The externals looked all right, but on the inside, they were falling apart. And Jesus said, that is not, that's not how you were made to live. You weren't made to be sucked dry on the inside, but look all put together and great on the outside. That's not life. Not really. Richard Rohr, who's a a priest and an author, says it this way. He says, that's one reason why religion is in such desperate straits today. It isn't really transforming people. It's merely giving people some pious and religious ways to again be in charge and in control. Authentic spirituality calls us into experiences and teachings that open us to an actual transformation of consciousness. Authentic spirituality actually causes us to be changed, to be transformed. Or as the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders said in Romans, his letter to the Romans, chapter 12, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It would seem that according to Paul and, and Jesus, that God's ultimate desire for us in finding life isn't that we become people who are constantly running around, exhausting ourselves, draining ourselves dry, so that we can do all of this good stuff for all these other people but that we're people who are becoming transformed to the extent that good works are a natural overflow of who we are as people, that they flow out of us. Not because we try really hard to do it, though there's hard work to be done, but that we're changed people who are, who are transformed by the renewing of our minds so that good works are simply the result. The end game is not that we're people doing good things, but that we're transformed people whose lives bear the fruit of that reality. Again, uh, Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. When we recognize that our need primarily is not to simply figure out what are all the good things I need to do, 
but how do I become a changed person who's allowing God's spirit to work in me? Our lives are able to bear fruit out of a place of health and life and freedom. We're not shriveled up on the inside, but looking good on the outside. Again, to quote Richard Rohr, transformed people transform people. That if you're interested in making an impact in the world, the most effective way for you to do that is to open yourself up to God's work of transformation inside of you. To be becoming a transformed person. So what does that look like practically? How can we begin to to not be people who simply focus on the externals, but allow ourselves to be changed, to be transformed? A couple of ideas, some exercises that that we can do. Um, I think part of, part of what happens with us when we, we get this idea about like what God really wants for me is, is to just do good stuff is we're very performance-based. You know, we think that really what gets us in good standing with God is that we're people who are performing up to par. You know, there, there's kind of a level that God's kind of looking for and we've got to reach it or exceed it. That isn't actually what we find. Definitely not when we look at the life and teachings of Jesus and when we look at the whole of Scripture. This isn't the picture of God that we see. So I think one thing that could be helpful for us is to take some time and to write down what you think God thinks when God thinks of you. Now, I know it's kind of weird, um, but most of us have this this default setting, this, this voice that runs in our head that tells us what God thinks of us, that tells us what our identity is, what our value is. And we might be surprised if we took the time to listen to that voice and write down what it said. Not, not write down like what you think you ought to think God thinks of you, You know, because we could probably all kind of play that game of like, well, I know I'm supposed to say that God loves me, and so that's what I'll write down. But actually, what do you think God thinks of you? Most of us have pretty messed up tapes that we play in our head about what God expects of us or what it looks like to be someone who's in a right relationship with God. For most of us, it... It's a lot about how good I am, how much I can measure up, how little I can make mistakes or sin, how close to perfection I can come. Which is actually kind of the opposite of what we see about God in Jesus. That in fact, in Jesus, we see a God who embraces us before we're all fixed up, before we get all that stuff figured out and commits to us so that we can become the kind of people we long to be but can't be on our own. That he commits to the work of changing us so that we can be the kind of people we long to be. Not the other way around. Again, um, I want to read a passage from Romans that comes out of the message translation. It's a little different. It's a paraphrase, um, but I, I love the way it says it, where Paul talks about God's love for us. 
He says, do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. And I know it can seem kind of, I don't know, cheesy to think about like, oh, God loves me. But that, that is the bedrock starting place for us as we think about what it looks like to be people who are being transformed. It begins at the place where we recognize we are loved, we are accepted by the creator of the universe. Not because of what we do or produce or or how much good we can make in the world, but even before all of that, we are loved. And that any good that we do comes out of the love that God has for us. So I'd encourage you as a first exercise to take some time to write down what you think God thinks of when he thinks of you. And then to look at this passage, Romans 8, 35, 37 to 39, and compare them. And where, they, where there's kind of a, a disconnect, begin to kind of pray around that, ask God around those things to, to kind of tell you what you ought to think about yourself, how you ought to see yourself. Most of us don't see ourselves very well, very rightly. So that's one. Secondly, we need to learn to, to take care of ourselves. And this, this follows directly from understanding that we're loved. Many of us, you know, we live our lives as though we kind of just have to expend all energy all the time, that really what it means to be a, you know, a good follower of Christ or a, a good person is to be someone who just leaves it all, you know, we just leave it all on the court every night. And sometimes you have to do that, but if you live life that way, it can be pretty lousy, pretty joyless, pretty exhausting. It's kind of like the, um, this, the Snickers ad, right? Like you, you've probably seen the Snickers ads, like you're not yourself when you're hungry. Right? The, the Bayron, there's, there's a lot of great ones. Um, but it's true, right? I mean, you, you all know how cranky you get when you haven't eaten well or how cranky your spouse gets. Not you, of course. Um, you know what it's like if you don't get a good night's sleep. Right? If, if, you, if you consecutively, over the, the course of a couple of nights, don't sleep well and you're going to work exhausted or you're trying to deal with the kids and you're, you're feeling completely spent because you haven't had any time for yourself for the last three months, you know your fuse is a little shorter or a lot shorter. What fuse? Right? You're just going off all the time. You know that you're just a pain to be around. You're not thinking about what... Do, What's going on for other people right now? How am I caring for them? How am I loving them? How am I, how am I being someone who's others-focused? You can't think about other people because you're so focused on yourself. If we're going to be people who are making any kind of impact in the world, we've got to realize that part of that comes from taking care of ourselves, realizing that we are loved. We're not just tools to be used to make a difference in the world, but that we're, we're lives that matter. We're people that the Creator loves deeply. And so developing yourself, cultivating 
yourself is critical to making a difference in the world. Um, my son is really into running. If you know me at all, I probably talked about that a bunch up here. Um, so, but it's interesting because before he got into running, he was like a normal kid. And now he's like some freak. Um, because, and, and you know, if, if you know runners, you know what this means. Like, he used to, I, you know, if I needed to bribe him for anything, I'd be like, hey, I'll take you out for like a donut or for a milkshake, something like that. So, so like this, so yesterday, um, a couple of, of great, generous people, some friends of ours donated their day yesterday to come and, and build a deck in our backyard. Um, and I wanted Josh to be a part of this because I knew if he was going to learn how to do things like this, it was going to have to come through other people um, because I just don't have those things in me. Um, and so he, uh, so, so I was like, Josh, uh, we're going to start at 8 o'clock, so I want you to get up and, and join us. And he's like, ah, oh, 8 o'clock on a Saturday, Dad. Uh, and I was like, hey, I'm going to get donuts. Now, two years ago, Donuts would have been it. I mean, that would have been the answer to any and every, like, hesitation. Walls would have gone down. Donuts were there. He's like, Dad, I don't want donuts. He's like, what do you mean you don't want donuts? Everyone wants donuts. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want donuts. Like, they're not good for me. Right? And I was like, oh, that's right. You're a freak now. And because (laughs) what he does, it's crazy, right? Like, this is my son. He's 15 years old. He comes home, and he's like, hey, I need to go to bed. I'm getting up early tomorrow to lift, and then I'm running with my buddies after school tomorrow. And, and, and I just I need to be thinking about, like, what the kinds of food that I'm eating. Um, and, you know, we, there's been a couple of times I'm like, hey, Josh, let's go. Come with me to this place, and I'll get you a milkshake or something. He's like, Dad, oh, Dad, I don't want a milkshake. No. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> but he's realized that if he's going to be someone who does well, who, who runs well, who does his best in the race, he's got to care for himself. It's, it's not going to work for him to just do anything that he wants without caring for himself. If he's going to succeed, he's got to take care of himself, of his body. And that's doubly true for us if, if we are people who care at all about making a difference in the world. It begins with you. It begins with the recognition that you are not a superhero. You're way more like Indiana Jones than Superman, right? Indiana Jones, now, even though he does the ridiculous thing in the refrigerator, he gets beat up all the time. If you're not focused on what you need to be your, your most fully alive self, allowing the Spirit to work in you and transform you, you will never be able to have the impact that you long to have in the world. It just won't happen. It starts with you. Finally, so write down how God sees you. Reflect on that and what the scriptures say about how God sees you. Take care of yourself because you are loved. And finally, do what is compelling. So often, we do good things that we feel contractually obligated into. Or somehow like, ah, this is the thing I have to do. Because, well, eh, people expect me to. And I don't know, fill in the blank. You know, for me, it's, it's the time when, you know, you're, you're rushing from one thing to the next, and there's that person who's asking for a donation outside the grocery store. And it's not that you don't have the $2. It's just that you feel you're bitter, embittered by the fact that you feel obligated to give the $2, right? You're like, it's a good thing that you're doing. I like that. 
I just don't like the fact that I feel bad if I don't give you money. Like, couldn't this just work another way? Maybe that's none of you. Um, but that's me. And so, confession. Um, but whenever you do something because you feel like you have to do it, there's never joy in that. That's not life. That's like, all yeah, right. But when you do something because you believe this matters, there's joy and life in it. You can leave it all out on the floor and go home exhausted and feel like, no, that was worth it. And I believe ultimately that's what it means for us to be people who are being transformed and are in the process of transforming the world as the Spirit works in and through us. It's, it's that we learn to listen to the Spirit and how the Spirit's inviting us to join Him. Because there's a billion different things you can do. There's a ton of different good things you can do. But you can't do them all. And you weren't made to do them all. But you were made to do some of them. And to do them really well, like no one else can. But that takes the work of cultivating your inner life, allowing God to shape you and mold you, so that you can begin to pay attention with, okay, where, where do I want to? to give? Or do I want to leave it all out on the court? What am I excited about? What am I compelled by? That's why, by and large, I mean, you know, obviously we do it imperfectly, but a lot of times we try not to kind of institutionalize those kinds of things around here. We try and look around and say, where is there, where are people passionate about this and, and how do we kind of get behind and encourage that and not say, okay, here's the thing that everyone needs to do. You know, a few exceptions, of course. You should all do the campaign. That's important. Right? I know, you can lay into me for that earlier. Anyway, um, but no, but by and large, like, we need to be people who are doing what we feel compelled to do as we allow the Spirit to work in us. Because if we're doing the work of cultivating our inner life, of allowing God to shape us, of understanding that we're loved, and so we don't have to earn God's love by doing all of this stuff, but as we receive God's love, we're compelled to, to live that out. As we do that work, then, then we begin to notice, oh, there are certain things that I get really excited about. There are certain opportunities that exist that I really want to be a part of. And then you can do that. And there's life there. Transformed people transform the world. Transform people. And in doing so, transform the world. Final quote from a guy named Jack Jezreel, from, uh, the founder of Just Faith. And this was in an article written again by Richard Rohr. Jezreel says, The world cannot be changed by love to become just unless we are changed by love to become whole. But we cannot be made whole without engaging in the work of making the world whole. Personal transformation and social transformation are one piece. And so it's not, it's not an either-or. It is a both and. This isn't, oh, we're going to stop doing good things and just focus on ourselves. But it does begin with the recognition that we need to be transformed people if we're going to play any part in God's work in transforming the world. It begins with us. I actually want to read a prayer. So we'll we'll pray it, uh, but I want to read a prayer from Paul's letter to the Ephesians as we wrap things up here. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. 
I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God.